0: A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. Today we are reading through chapter 18, chapters 13 to chapter 18 of Iron Gold. There. This is Cross, and I'm PJ, and we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. Ooh, you switched it up on me. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, What's well, our new tagline? Technically.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. It's still the other one in the document, but. <laughs> thank you thank you for fixing it crossland
0: yeah so today is our first episode covering iron gold by pierce brown and we are going to be talking about chapter 13 through chapters 13 through 18 but before we do that we're going to talk about what we're drinking we kind of already like kind of spoil sported this last week a little bit we we kind of let everyone know what we were doing but pj what are you having
1: i'm having a venusian fury shot this time one that i kind of Concocted up a little bit. Took mostly inspiration from the recipe, but it doesn't quite follow it perfectly. So I'll I'll run through what's in it. One part frenette bronca, two parts of creme de cacao, and two parts of coffee rum. Specifically, I chose the Kraken coffee rum. A little bit to do with the with the color, because it's way, way darker than any of the other rums that I've got or have ever seen. Also because I like the sort of coffee chocolate spice sort of thing going on. And then a couple dashes of Peshad bitters, stirred that, poured it into the shot glass and then topped with a little bit, probably, probably one part of that chocolate oatmeal milk stuff that I used last time and then dusted it with cayenne pepper as sort of a, a dusty float on top. So cool. That's what I've got there, and then um, because that's a shot, I Bef- figured to have something we, before to sip we on. Before we move
0: forward, let's let's do our shots. Oh yeah, we normally so. do this before the show, but because PJ was doing the fury for his one of his drinks as well, we just figured we'd we'd mention it both here. So, cheers, mm-hmm. cheers. <sighs> Ooh, I can never be upset taking a, a shot out of my little stitch head glass.
1: I really it, that's a that's a strange experience with the cayenne in there. Mm-hmm. How's that? I like. Uh, it's smooth. It's a very smooth shot, which is interesting. I expected a lot more burn out of it, but it's just these layers of chocolate, then coffee, then cayenne, then star anise, the sort of black licorice flavor coming in and rounding all of it out and sort of coming over the top and melting it all together. But it definitely drank in layers, which was interesting. I think I'd go a little bit less with the, with the coffee rum next time though. I think I'd do one part is a little overpowering.
0: What'd you take? I had vodka and I I did that because I wanted to pour one last drink willing the numbness to spread. There you go. <laughs> and there just go. just straight up quoting Ephraim now every time I drink.
1: <laughs> yep. I mean, uh, it works.
0: Yeah, it's funny. We haven't actually been adhering to our rule of drinking whenever someone else drinks. So Oh god. Yeah, right. I forgot um, about it. <laughs> which in particular with Ephraim is a lot.
1: yeah i think uh i think this episode is gonna go super smoothly crossland
0: (laughs) now now that we think about that yeah uh
1: does that mean we have to collectively finish a bottle of whiskey and then get more (laughs) during this
0: (laughs) i I don't think either of us could stomach that at the moment but we like to dream we like to dream Mm mm-hmm um, so what's your cocktail that you're following that up with?
1: I wanted something more refreshing. So I went with a just simple gin and tonic with a of lime. Following that up, I guess I have a little bit more of that milk stout that I made that, co- or that shot with. But primarily, you and I are both doing the same beer again. Also one from our buddy Zeph, buddy Logan. Keep the noise low from Institution Ale Company. And we are pretty positive.
0: We're like 90% sure that this is a brand new the band reference yep. from this song Sick Transit Gloria. We both independently came to that conclusion and mentioned it to each other at the same time. <laughs> so, it doesn't have to be, but I like to think that it is. It, it seems it seems like it. Yeah. The the cover art does not have
1: anything to do with it. It's this creepy looking clown dude. I don't know. so every ropes. everything
0: around this ale can actually fun fact I was gonna I was gonna mention this too is uh it's all they're all Stephen King references so oh that makes on sense. top of like I mean obviously the center's it the uh, the crow with the arrow throat is from the stand the chained up doll feels like Gerald's game and the the shrunken heads are a short story that I can't recall this
1: This is what I want. This is specifically exactly what I want in a West Coast IPA. I love it. It's well balanced, but you still get that punch of bitterness without it being overbearing. You still get the sort of tropical notes from the hops, but everything else is just clean. So far, if you're keeping track, Logan, this is my favorite of the group. This is my favorite Uh of what you've sent me that I've tried so far.
0: Mine is still the uh, pizza porter coffee stout. Yeah,
1: see, I didn't get that one.
0: It's so fucking good.
1: He said he he only had one of those. So he sent that to you. And I got a different one. You you go ahead and start talking about what you're drinking.
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> we, we kind of clarified this. We're both having Venusian Furies of our own decrees, concoctions. Mine actually isn't any different than the exact original recipe. So what I struck what I struck out for this week was to actually recreate it entirely the way that it was supposed to be without any substitution. Sans the spiced rum. I'm not drinking spiced rum. I just okay. can't. It do, it's like the you know how you have that alcohol that you had when you're like 18 or 19 that your body physically mm-hmm. rejects yep. to me that is spice rum. And so I am having a I'm still having the barrel rum. I'm obviously there's still the cayenne in it. Uh, there i do have the squid ink in it which i was terrified of to be honest when i threw it into the mixture as i just see this glob dissipate inside of the drink and i was like oh no what did i do
1: did you have an eighth tablespoon eighth teaspoon measurement I did, or?
0: actually i was shocked Wait, wow i yeah. expected
1: you to say no to that because i've never heard of that before but yeah that's such a tiny little measurement
0: it's a very tiny little measurement. So it's really not that much, which is also something that we thought on the outset. So it doesn't add um a ton of flavor. What it does add inside of a dark cocktail is actually like an extra swirl of darkness kind of floating there like a cloud in the cocktail. So it's very oh. much an arty thing. Less I got I got good photos of it. So but is it's it kind very of much, oily? Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't taste oily, but it looks kind it kind of has that feeling of of separation well it's it's together so it's not separated it's not like a puddle on top but it feels kind of like a cloud moving through it but yes it looks very oily okay i mean if you if you think about squid ink right it kind of creates that cloud so it's literally what we did in the cocktails it just makes it cloudy but yeah this is a this is standard Venusian fury with all of the ingredients i used last week including the same stout added in the squid ink which is ten dollars for three ounces or whatever i don't know what the hell i'm gonna do with the rest of
1: it (laughs) make some pasta
0: (laughs) oh um i posted
1: (laughs) because i i set out to do the same thing and fucked up so if you uh if you go to our instagram at words whiskey pod you can see a video that i posted of me creating last week's cocktail and um (laughs) talking about that and i set out and bought we both said set out too many times but you got it in my head. I went on Amazon and bought squid ink or so I thought, but I actually ordered squid ink pasta. So that didn't help me out.
0: Um, (laughs) You didn't juice the pasta for the ink. I did not. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I, I made it though. It actually tastes really good. So with that, let's move into last week's predictions. So, the, we, we had a couple of things that we were going to talk about. Um, one of the predictions that you said is what, what moves is Darrow making next? You said that there was going to be a heavy conversation with Dancer with a potential mission that Darrow needs to go on, which will be reviewed and probably is a way for him to flee. So the second half is kind of right. Yeah, but the first he's half He's not coy right. about it. He's just straight up fleeing. Yeah. He's a, he's fleeing persecution. I'm going to say we both drink. We'll, we'll call it
1: 50-50. All right. That's fair.
0: <sighs> Oh, so nice! It's so spicy. Mm. So we we have our next one here. It's Lyria. What's burning? You said her escape vehicle, and it was everything else. Everything else. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, just about anything else. You could have said anything else, but the boats. Yep, and he would have been right. Kind of <sighs> funny though. I was kind of trying to mislead you. Mm. Yep. In in exactly where you went. So that's a that's a drink for you. Yep, I took it cool uh and that's it for predictions for this week i think the payoff that makes sense
1: uh that's no you, ma- you skipped the benefactor
0: well that hasn't paid off we don't know oh shit wait you're right yeah, we, you're right yeah we do we do we do know the benefactor you're <laughs> right this is the ephraim question so who was the mysterious benefactor that was behind the operations that <laughs> certainly ephraim was certainly mustang on? <laughs> you said mustang it i said i mean
1: yeah i didn't have a great answer to it so i went with mustang but y- yeah. it's not <laughs> not mustang. i knew this i knew this drink was coming
0: but who is it pj the duke of hands the duke of hands so take him a fucking drink yes sir all right and with that let's get into the chapters so chapter 13 we've got lyria of first and the chapter title is First, The Screams, which is intense. This entire chapter is just intense. It's it's a race to the finish of of sort of brutality. There is entire entire section so far inside of the story has mostly just been, oh, let's see how much we can beat up this poor little red girl. <laughs> just just so mean.
1: mean. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's been uh, pretty brutal for her.
0: Yeah. I, so... You know, we, we've we talked about we talked about this a long time ago. The first book has those like YA undertones. The second book kind of like it has some of the things remaining. Not really. It's, it's already graduating to an adult series. The third book feels like just an action packed book. But here in this book, it feels like we've graduated in every way. And especially with Lyria's character. Yeah, she's not getting out of this easy.
1: No, it's it's pretty much shit after shit after shit. Like, she is not getting a break. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this one specifically, she is seeing everybody that she loves die.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we, we start off this week with Leary again, running away from the fire, being flushed out like the pit vipers. I find it really interesting the the use that the Red Hand has for the exact same tactics that they use in the mine as though they haven't really grown or changed. And so the thought that they could like take on the Society of the Republic feels naive because their tactics remain the same. You know, isn't that they're just, kind of a they're point, just though? violent reds?
1: The the point is that they were kind of fighting against the the changes that were happening in the first place is kind of what it seems like.
0: Well, they were fighting against the point. I yes, I just also think that they were fighting against the golds. Time is stuck with us in the mud. This entire sequence in the mud is just crazy. The sort of like brutality of all of these people being run down harmony kind of standing out front with a sling blade covered in Brown blood as you know, a- as she's just kind of standing there looking over everything. And it's a, it's a very visual visceral image. Uh, the Lyria shoving down Liam into the mud behind this guy who, this old man who's standing in front of them and takes the bullet through the fucking head for her. Yeah, like yeah. Jesus Christ, Pierce dude. And- <laughs>
1: Is this the one where she's describing how he's, like, strangely moving and only, like, later realizes that he's moving that way because he's being actively shot?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's convulsing like, because there are more bullets hitting his body. Like... Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Just... And, and she does eventually get shot, of course, in the shoulder, um, but, like, her pushing Liam down into the mud and, like, keeping him alive and everything else, its it—it's very it's very tense. There's not, like, a... There's not a whole lot for us to expound upon inside of this chapter because everything, again, is just an intense action scene and it's so well written. You can visualize this perfectly. Yeah, it, I mean, absolutely. It just, it just screams. I mean, going from a a refugee camp into that refugee camp being on fire into the death squad in the, the wolves with teeth in the forest and all the sling blades going into the death squad here. It's just a series of, oh, you could imagine this entire first part of Lyria's story being just a fucking episode of TV, like or spread out over two episodes either way.
1: I don't think there's enough that happens to fill out an entire episode, but I think Lyria's arc so far, you
0: don't think enough happens? Oh, oh, I thought you just meant this chapter. Oh, no, no, no. I'm I'm saying Lyria's arc so far is like in episodes worth of TV at least. Yeah, you might true. you might spread it out over two episodes and present another one of these POVs, but it does feel like it's written to uh, to give us action in in the midst of some of the other political things that are going on. Yeah, some of the yeah, other like that. It's yeah, it's
1: I'm uh, into it. You've convinced
0: yeah. me. <laughs> Fuck. So. This scene is also so vivid the way the like, again, this just gets back to the visualization, the way that like the ships come down, breaking formation, raining hail, the womp, womp, womp of the the missiles as they collide with the ground that that really like sold it for me in terms of the way that it was visualized. Small thing, but sometimes those like auditory cues can be enough to, you know, we, we talked about like the thump, the heavy thump on the steps as Dara was climbing before. But this this kind of has a similar weight to it because of the the additional the fuck is it called it's not it's an onomatopoeia yeah 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 there's something like an onomatopoeia gives a lot here it just empowers the moment
1: yeah i i completely agree the one thing that i have a question on and i i'd like to see if you either picked up more than i did and i missed something or if you've got i don't know ideas or something to glean on were those missiles all just star suits or were there also missiles along with the reigning golds i think first and whoever else
0: yeah so first i think it was it was missiles because they talk specifically about like the reign of fire which isn't just the people so i think at first it's missiles and then it's people
1: the description of womp 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 for the collision of missiles doesn't seem like missiles
0: i disagree with you entirely really yeah,
1: maybe in a maybe off in the distance, but if it's a refugee camp, it's not that big of a space.
0: She's ran pretty significantly far away to the water. Like they've they've made their way away from the camp. I guess is kind of my my view of it to some degree, because she was already out near the forest. She ran to a junkyard and then has been flushed out while trying to make her escape. That's fair. So to me, one pump pump is the is the sound wave. Okay, that you would truly hear. You're, you're right, though. If it were closer, it would sound more like fire. That's why Harmony scrambles, but doesn't immediately react, you know, as though she's being fired upon right here. Right. That's fair. So, yeah, I definitely understand. I'm just like, oh, man. Mm-hmm. Womp, womp, womp. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> I say womp, womp, womp a lot, so, so it's just I, it's funny.
1: What are the missiles for, then? Missiles See, seem like a crazy, aggressive, collateral damage-inducing Answer to somebody
0: attacking a refugee camp. You know, it does, but also there are ships like the red, they came on ships. So,
1: oh, okay. So the missiles might be coming from the red, Le- not Red Legion.
0: No, they're definitely, it's definitely coming from Cavax, the Telemannises. It's definitely coming from the Republic, but aimed at like the ships and ground formation of forces. It's not like they're just bombing the refugee camp miscellaneously. Okay. Gotcha. That's yeah.
1: that's part of the reason why I was thinking maybe those missiles that she's talking about are actually just the people, the
0: star sure. shells. That makes sense. I mean, they clearly do fire the the star shells. It's just like they they opened up with a salvo and then they moved to the move to the star shells. So speaking of the star shells, of course we uh, we get one of those that lands near us. It's an unusually big star shell. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of golds hiding out in the water that have made their way away from kind of the the scene that Harmony was leaving. What would you make of sort of Lyria's decision to take action and the rest of the golds' inaction to go the man in the armor who we at this point know to be Cabax?
1: Well, I mean, she was operating under the assumption that it was an obsidian up until they opened it up. She was under that assumption and was surprised to find it gold. So and. Obsidian is another low color. I don't think we can glean a whole lot on her decision-making process towards golds based on that because because it was a surprise to her. But I think the fact that everybody else was just kind of standing there and didn't didn't do anything she she definitely has some compassion and some some code to her that she sticks to. Mm-hmm. So it'll be fun to see how that plays out in the future. That said, did you notice? The kind of tongue in cheek poking fun at his own, I don't know, create his own creation of tragedy from the previous or from a couple books ago.
0: Are you talking about is that now? Does that happen now or is that later?
1: Where, where I think it's where where when they're opening up the suit, and I want to say it's Liam who says, There's got to be an emergency
0: release valve on this thing, right? Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. There there are like two or three of those comments inside of this very section, right? Which seem to be like points and plugs to a lot of the different things that you've said, like the emergency <laughs> release valve. There's there's this. There's the like diving into the vanguard. <laughs> I think those are the two big ones.
1: Yeah, but but it's like, all right, so like a 10-year-old kid has the foresight to assume that there's emergency releases on these fucking things. <laughs> <laughs> And now they've changed the design to include them.
0: Well, I mean, after what Darrow went through, I'm sure he's like, what the fuck were you guys thinking? I don't give a shit about your ritualistic bullshit. Let's fix this. (laughs) You know? Exactly. It only took one time landing in a river to be like, what the fuck were you thinking? Really good. I just, good I, I laughed really hard at that. <laughs> Man, I missed it this time, which is sad. Okay. Uh, but you, you saying that totally, totally jogged that for me. Anything else on the first Lyria chapter? No, I'm just excited to get into the second Lyria <laughs> okay. chapter because of the subject of it. Cool, cool. Uh, chapter 14, Ephraim, anniversary, anniversary. Yeah, we we discover that the anniversary in question here is that of uh, of Trig's birthday. It's the 10th anniversary of him not being there, of course, since since his death. I, I actually so did you figure that out? I couldn't confirm it. So I didn't actually grab the book. I did. I did uh, search text and I like looked around inside of some things relating to birthdays, but there was nothing that I could see. I'd love to if anyone knows, send us a message. I feel like I made a happy birthday joke. I think you did. And that's why I'm pretty sure I did. I, there's just so much schadenfreude with this podcast in my brain all the time that I can never quite tell. There are moments, PJ, where I have to fake you out, and so I don't remember what's real. Sometimes we will double check for the next episode, and if you guys know, of course, ping us, and we will totally, totally. I win. have, I have the book like
1: ten. No, it, away. Takes Everyone, so much, it takes. It takes so much time to do
0: that. It's so much time. Regardless, uh, we we figure out that the anniversary is at the very least the birthday, might be more. We would love it for it to be more because the implication is even worse. Then, <laughs> uh, but the description of the mass right off the bat, the section that we're located in inside of Hy- Hyperion, I think we're in Hyperion right now, right? That sounds right. Yeah, the description of the mass right off the bat as this like tumor, this cancerous tumor, where sort of the overflow of tourists and people who need to come here before they go to their final destination, I think is is great. It's kind of it's also kind of horrifying in a way because we're obviously presented this entire section through sad boy Ephraim's perspective. But the fact that it's known as the mass and he's not the only one that refers to it as the mass means that a lot of other people maintain the cynical attitude about the sort of comings and goings of what comes through this massive port system.
1: It seems like in this society, a lot of people hold cynical values in general. That's true, you
0: know, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yep,
1: (laughs) they're not living great lives for the most part.
0: Yeah, that is kind of the premise of the original series. So I would I would definitely agree with you, you know, like obviously the point was to break the chains.
1: Yeah, for sure. But we, we see sort of a bitter, angry, judgmental F. But he he's clearly emotional and he's clearly sentimental based on his sort of ritualistic coming to this bar every year on on the anniversary or his birthday if it's not the same thing. So I think I'm looking forward to his first album as a pop punk band. I'll just leave it at that. I think he I think he'd do well. <laughs> Read some good lyrics.
0: Ephraim. So I would I would say that Ephraim is less pop punk and more like. Morrissey, The Smiths, Okay, Joy Division, okay. New Order, Yeah, like, Deeper, Sadder, <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs> like just Yeah, I can see that.
0: It's true. I, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one.
1: I think the name Ephraim works. Also, mm-hmm. have we talked about Ephraim's name, name at all? What do you
0: mean the
1: the, like, like, the the historical reasoning behind why he was named the it? like no, Book of Genesis, Second
0: Son of Joseph? Bit nope, haven't. I haven't mentioned that one. I uh, I mean he's just he's one of the, he's one of the many sons of Joseph from from the Bible historical figure at at that rate ancestor of Joshua. Like, so
1: he's Jesus's stepbrother? What? No.
0: Or a different Joseph. Different Joseph, different Joseph. The okay. <laughs> the second son of Joseph and <laughs> Asenath. So uh the like Joseph who was sold into slavery. Uh, dude, I don't know the okay, Bible that Okay. Well, well, I'm yeah, it's fine. It's fine uh joseph and the technicolor dreamcoat i've heard of it I've, i don't think i've ever seen it this is this is mostly just bullshit i, I just threw that at you for no reason <laughs> <laughs> that one was a joke um we'll we'll break down ephraim in a future episode with with a smidge more research so that i can be a little bit more couth about this whole thing but um i think we actually did break down when it was originally mentioned did a little you- bit did you
1: did you just make a decision to be more couth about something
0: <laughs> yes as opposed to just completely <laughs> On this off the show. cuff <laughs> just, this, just this one thing just this this one thing that people could pick apart you know we've, we've had a friend going through the early episodes and he's been like why the fuck did you say that thing about Game of Thrones <laughs> just I was struck with this like that was six months ago and i don't i don't remember what i said yesterday most of the time (laughs) yeah he he made good points he made really good points he was he made really good points. i also don't remember any of the the things that he talked about the the other (laughs) part of this is i was also like oh shit we are kind of authorities in a weird way so like we i can't just Mm. i can't just spout no you know i can say that we're not authorities well we're kind of authorities (laughs) um fuck authority (laughs) silent majority that's more of a darrow thing less of an ephraim thing getting back to it (laughs) we also get the meat cute of ephraim and trig it's at the bar this very same bar
1: knowing trig from the i don't know five minutes we got with him he seems like the guy that would that would order milk and then spill it on somebody
0: accidentally is is that how he gets all and somehow for I feel, like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's what he does to get dates. He like goes to a bar, orders milk, which makes him the weird guy, and then just spills it on everyone until someone goes home.
1: Are, you're <laughs> arguing that his method of getting dates is being the pathetic guy who spills milk on somebody and
0: looks sad about it? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't sad. He was apologetic. Yeah,
1: he is. He... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes well that I mean, is what i'm arguing
1: pathet- he, he looks pathetic i think i think the core Efra of your might point was right actually use the use the term pathetic yes in the description yes
0: that that is exactly
1: what i'm going for with trick that is a
0: maniacal way of getting <laughs> dates <laughs> it it might be it might be effective
1: Uh, i i implore you to try it
0: (laughs) (laughs) let me know how it goes the extra funny part here is that i'm lactose intolerant so it's just hilarious the the mood in the room changes as ephraim goes to a table that he had reserved of course it was it was the same place that you know he had been before because he's clearly a creature of habit more than pretty much anything else which also speaks to his addiction with zolodone and everything else to kind of numb himself from the world he is arguing you think it's an addiction
1: i think it's a very healthy
0: relationship
1: with that uh, i i uh, mean uh, apathy inducing <laughs> drug
0: <laughs> is it is it though is
1: that, you know, i we think
0: i think it's he doesn't use the perfectly healthy whole chapter though like that's, that's good tr- good for you ephraim
1: does it does he not use it at all no i guess I, they don't mention I don't, it
0: i don't think he's he at all instead he just drinks an entire bottle of whiskey and then another one <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> certainly certainly pulls on a different different side of the brain <laughs> but yeah then after after getting in kind of a row or being very close to getting in a row with uh, gray and another color the unique thing steps into the bar which i thought was a really interesting description something that was so alien and foreign that everyone's seen you know it'd, it'd be like that celebrity walking in to some degree to see none other than our holiday walking in and everyone backing off the fight doesn't necessarily yeah. stop, but it stalls. And she does the badass move of taking their whiskey bottle, pouring the two of them shots, downying it, and then flicking a loon, a hundred credit loon, over to the the dudes that she took the whiskey bottle from. Which, how badass.
1: I mean, it's it's a power move, man.
0: <laughs> Dominance <laughs> established.
1: Yep. If Aaron had anything to say about it, this is... This is the embodiment of what it means to uh, to go into hot girl summer.
0: <laughs> hot girl summer is totally demanding the whiskey of anyone and everyone who isn't giving you whiskey. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, and I just want to make mention of of something regarding the currency. There are kind of two two points here that I think are interesting. One, we're in a science fiction future. Why do we have coins? First off. I thought that was, I think that's strange a little bit. I don't think it's that strange.
1: I think there's always going to be a demand for some sort of physical currency. And presumably, the way they described it, it's a silver coin, right? I think it's a gold coin. Or a gold coin. Like, presumably, it has an intrinsic value. So it's not like our current fiat currency that doesn't have anything backing it.
0: I don't know. I feel like it only gets worse when you go to space and there's fewer. I mean, there are more resources in different ways, but we don't know that anywhere has silver or gold pockets like Earth does. You made mention of this earlier when we were talking about it when we were going through notes. It's good world building to have like the replacement currency fail to whatever degree for it to fail to establish itself. I just also think that in a sci-fi future, you just use a generic credit. And Well, they do have credits. Right, but we have a token that is worth said credit. So why isn't the yeah. other token worth the same fiat credit in theory it is what do you what do you mean the it, well it, clearly the rising token hasn't taken precedent over the other token
1: because I, I because it's insanely difficult to distribute and replace
0: i mean britain's done it like things. four times so I, over over the course of how much time I mean, like 600 years but like still
1: <laughs> okay but when, when they decided to introduce a new currency how quickly were they able to do it? it? It went fine. I'd love to see that figure and then realize that it's a single country on a single
0: planet and not an entire fucking solar system. Yeah, but like coppers don't have anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are silvers doing right now? <laughs> like, guys. All right. So th- think about just... No, I, I agree with you, PJ. I'm, I'm totally shitposting about this whole Physically bringing them
1: physically bringing the coins to another planet is an insane you, you
0: don't even need to bring them anywhere expensive. you just say oh hey your coins yes, are now worth do. nothing and we're reissuing the chips validate at your local <laughs> okay so
1: your coins are worth nothing and we're issuing new chips you, presumably that would mean trade in your chips for new ones correct
0: so who's gonna pay to do that we have a we have a fictional society that seems to have no issue with money no, okay
1: okay so I think that's where we're getting hung up with each other is you're you're trying to lean into the hand wavy. This is a fictional society, and I think I'm I'm kind of on the side of put as much realism into this as possible.
0: Oh, I I get what, it.
1: What are the pitfalls or what are the obstacles of? issuing a new currency to
0: a galaxy well and obviously like lysander mentions, it's like obviously there's scarcity in resources and that's very clear when it's also presented through lyria's perspective i just for whatever reason this is the one thing that my brain has gotten really hung up on inside of this entire fucking book is the idea that we truly struggled to replace a currency with a tyrant on it between three planets technically a moon and a planet (laughs) yeah two planets I, i see
1: where you're coming from I think I think it would be a really, really difficult undertaking to try to do that all at once. And I think the right move would be to do something like folding that currency into your own, not minting more of them. But anytime you get some, you don't put it back out into circulation and you replace it with newly minted loons or whatever you want to call them. Much like the U.S. government does with any sort of dollar bills or old, old currencies, old coins that are still valid, but they have a different design and uh, my coins are a hotter face than on ours. them. Your, your coins are the hottest crossland. I um, But slowly phasing them out as as you collect them mm-hmm. and minting new ones to replace them with a different face or a different
0: name or whatever you want to call it and just let it organically replace itself. Yeah. The, the other part of me just feels like this again, paints a picture of societal indifference to the changes that have happened at large inside of the society, because for many people, life has pr- potentially continued as normal. Although they're maybe no longer shackled to their role by the color that they are, they're still shackled by the class that they're a part of. And so Mm -hmm. they're still that's why like on top of it i think the money is just another representation of that same problem and it's another one of those things where it's like well if the republic could control it then perhaps it would help lead people to believe something new but instead we're still using the same currencies even that we were using before well then really it feels like nothing's changed they couldn't even and ephraim kind of makes the point of like they couldn't even they couldn't even replace the currency they failed a couple of times and so that just to me screams it screams more at that social dilemma. Um, of course, there's also exactly what you're bringing up with sort of the nature of reclaiming the currency over time. It's just if they've tried and failed, that just yeah, that says something. I,
1: I really saw it as a logistical dilemma when I was reading it. And I know you and I you and I have been talking about this
0: more than anything Since else. we started
1: going over the notes. <laughs> more than anything, I, I didn't see it as a social thing at all. I strictly saw it as logistical as far as why... This hasn't been working out. I think you took it as they had all the infrastructure and all the logistics figured out, and people just chose not to use it. And I took it as they couldn't get it off the ground because of the logistics. They couldn't get it distributed, or they couldn't get enough minted, or they ran into problem after problem because it's not clear how far into the campaign of replacing the currency they got. I I took it as a short lived attempt that either straight up got shot down and didn't even leave the Senate floor or just kind of fizzled out
0: as they ran into roadblock roadblock after roadblock. Sure. Okay. Okay. So that's sort of the fizzle out point. All right. I'm calling it on the currency. (laughs) All right. But, but I, I do agree with you and I think that that makes a lot of sense from the, uh, the perspective I think we've proven that we could talk about this of all points for way too long <laughs> dude I could go on <laughs> I really uh, could this is this is ridiculous okay so holiday points out Volga skulking the shadows tracking Ephraim to make sure he's okay I, I think it's interesting of course to think about um, the fact that she says that like Ephraim's losing it a little bit which is kind of funny mm-hmm. but then of course would you make of Volga's attempts at friendship here over the cross, over the course of the last couple of chapters, I know I've literally mentioned this every single episode, but it only grows in desperation.
1: Yeah. So, despite the fact that we keep bringing it up and keep having this conversation, we still haven't gotten a whole lot of information on who Volga is and what she thinks and what she what she thinks about. So. I'm still a little bit unsure on her as far as her reasonings. And it genuinely, I'm kind of trying to decide with myself how to, how to view her either as a caring sort of gentle giant. That's really kind of reaching out and trying to help someone in need or a simpleton brute that doesn't know how to read the situation. And I know that that's, maybe a perverse or crass way to look at it but she kind of reads a little simplistic to me at least it doesn't seem like she's necessarily able to understand the nuances of what's going on and and sees the fact that they spent time together as friendship even if it's strictly a work relationship as Ephraim puts it but at the same time it could also strictly be what's kind of presented as Ephraim is ignoring the fact that he's grown close with these people and is distancing himself by calling it strictly a work relationship. So uh, it, it's tough, but those are sort of the two paths I'm going on. How do I read Volga? Yeah. Okay. I mean that in, in my in in the notes here I put: uh, Is she a paladin or is she a barbarian? As far as like what D and D class does she fall into?
0: And and I feel like that's honestly like a decent comparison. I think you did a really good job of voicing those, even without getting down to the specifics of why each is maybe one of those two options that you described. I think that's something to be discerned in the future. I, I'm looking forward
1: to it. I'm really I'm really intrigued by Volga. And I'd like to see where where that goes.
0: Yeah. The only thing I'd say is that I feel like Volga is very be it be it either of your interpretations. Either way, I think she's nothing if not sweet. Um, And that is yes. Oh, for sure. That is the uh, the opposite of Ephraim in every single way. He is a bitter boy. Uh, That's yeah. Putting it lightly. (laughs) So there's there's a lot of conversation, of course, that happens here between the pair of them. They they talk a a lot of a lot of different shop about a lot of different things. It starts off with small talk and then it escalates into a, a conversation that seems to have potentially repeated itself over a number of years. But before we get there, I just wanted to say the the description that Ephraim gives of Holiday, I think, is very interesting. Still, most of the wear seems on the inside. She sits at the table with the weight of the planet pressing down into the whiskey bottle, pressing her down into the whiskey bottle. A, drink. Oh, yeah. B, that's such a strong (sighs) phrase and characterization and moment to have happen holiday's got a lot riding on her shoulders as it is is the sort of right hand of the sovereign we saw the entire bar react to her entering she's kind of a celebrity in that way i mean she's not i wouldn't call her a celebrity in any other fashion she's not going to sit down and do an interview with anyone uh but it
1: seemed less to do with who she was and more what she was wearing you know it it, it was the wolf cloak and the pegasus patch that she had on yeah
0: yeah so she is a
1: she's a howler yeah, I, I think that's more of what caused the disturbance. Not who, sh-
0: not her personally. Pegasus patch. That's for that's for a specific legion, right? The Pegasus Legion. Yes, I'm just trying to recall. Which,
1: uh, so we we learn that Darrow's niece is also part of Pegasus Legion.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I think technically the Pegasus falls underneath Darrow because it's the House Andromeda symbol, and I think he just carried it forward, which is cool. You know, makes sense. Good Mm -hmm. thematic thing. But yeah. Yes. I'm with you. I I carry that. I just find it... I find that whole piece interesting, of course, especially like pressing her down into the whiskey bottle. That almost feels more like a perspective that Ephraim's placing on her, the way that he would feel that way, not the way that she actually feels, you know? Like she's she's drinking right now, but she's drinking in part because of the stress, in part because she's here with Ephraim, in part because of what happened to Trig. I don't think she... Drinks in the same way that Ephraim does, where he's trying to bury something and become numb. She drinks because of right. pressure.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I think this is sort of the continuation of a theme that we start to see it's towards the end of of Morningstar, the chapter titled The Weight of Aries." That's when focus really started being maintained on the internal internal struggles of everybody else not just of darrow that we sort of start seeing and i think that's going to be a bit more of a theme not only because we have four protagonists and we get their internal
0: struggles (laughs) all together are you sure they're Um, all protagonists pj
1: i guess by definition yes okay are they not well isn't isn't the protagonist the
0: point of view is it possible
1: to have a Okay. Yeah,
0: you get one hundred percent. I, am not. I'm not. I'm neither dissuading you from your belief that they are all protagonists. I'm just also saying it is possible, okay. given your limited exposure to fiction, it is also possible to have a POV that's a villain. Okay. So, what what did you make of the conversations surrounding the Hyperion Trials and Deep Grave as well as the decisions that were made by the Republic regarding the previous regime under the Sovereign?
1: So there, there's not a ton to that that discussion. And I'm, I'm excited to learn more about it because it seems like something that's going to get expanded upon based on how it was described. But based on what's said, we kind of get the idea that there were a bunch of basically war criminals that were pardoned as a means of maintaining some uh, critical infrastructure and critical production within the society or within the republic um, that would just be annihilated with the death of of those leaders. So th- there's a lot of deals made for hypothetically the good, of the, rep- the good of the republic. But those people that don't see the the outcome or the the nuance to that are going to see it as kind of a slap in the face. Of the these are these are the people that were oppressing everybody enslaving everybody why are they not being held accountable and the fact of the matter is there's still a war going on and the the republic can't just sacrifice all of this critical infrastructure in order to uh bring justice to the hypothetically horrible men and women like i like i said i don't know the specifics of who they are i'm 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 seeing them as leaders of industry, so I, I guess I'm seeing them as slavers and yep. and barons of industry. So these horrible people
0: in the board of quality control, you know, like that's that, oh, is that, of, too. that is a prime example that we get from Ephraim even is the board of quality control. So I I agree with you in the way that you're kind of recounting a lot of these things. I think it's to some degree meant to be a an interesting comparison to the Nuremberg trials. Because it does feel yeah. similar in the way that a lot of people think that a lot of people got off because they weren't actually in those trials. They only put, like, what, nine people on trial, technically? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, But
1: I, looking at it from Ephraim's perspective, totally agree. Totally agree with him. Like, that is not justice done. And what was the point of these theatrics if you're not actually going to hold the, the truly despicable people accountable. Yeah. But at the same time, looking at it from Mustang's perspective, we need this industry. We're not going to have it if we execute or imprison the leaders of these primary companies or factions or whatever they are departments. So let's not let this, let's not let this rising be in vain by neutering ourselves after after succeeding like they're they're never going to be able to reinstate that sort of industry in time we need to salvage what's there so if that means pardoning some people that did horrible horrible things for the better of the continuation of the republic she's got to make that choice uh
0: yeah. it's it's a, it, it's such a tough place to be in because and, and that's that's what this entire series is reckoning with, right, is this or this entire book so far has been reckoning with the sort of fallout of what a real revolution looks like. And how does that and how does it not re- hit expectations and how does it hit expectations? So um, exactly what you said right there.
1: Is where my mind was at with the coin debate.
0: Right, right. That's just another that's another extraction of our larger cultural thing, too, with like colors still being within their own classes. And it all just it all just hits this sort of like tinny. I I think of it as like a tinny ring where it's like you want it to ring clear, but it's it's not there. And instead, we're we're sitting here trying to perfect and and adjust. And, you know, she did. She did her best. And you know, in many opinions, it wasn't good enough. Need to correct myself, Nuremberg. There were 24 people trialed, um, but that was yeah. that's still not that many. People. Right, right. It's still it's still a small number. I just said nine, but it was it was 11 were sentenced. I knew the number was small of the people who were actually sentenced to death. But anyway, it's still it's still not still not that many. Nope, not that many at all. Regardless, though, I think kind of getting back to what, what you were just talking about. it It is an interesting point um what do you think we've gotten a couple of mentions of deep grave what's deep grave
1: well clearly a prison okay a maximum security prison that i mean that's kind of what i assume okay just a really really they found a big fucking crater and they put a prison at the bottom of it (laughs) that goes
0: downward okay in levels cool makes sense to me that's that's the idea I've got in my head. So the the rest of the chapter really focuses on kind of the the nosedive that Ephraim's life is in, his current like state of being and holiday kind of back accusing him of sort of this this all being about him and no longer being about Trig and this sort of not not really living up to the life that Trig would have wanted him to leave or live. So what what do you make of that? It's probably eating him up quite a bit. Like
1: he he is in his own head about Trig constantly, to the point where this this drug that numbs emotion in in most situations where we've seen him take it is because he's thinking about Trig too much. So I, I think he's at this moment emotionally kind of running from Trig's ghost, I guess. And uh this day seems to be the uh The only time he allows himself to face
0: it a little bit in a semi sober way to to put the term sober on top of the way that he's facing this right now is, I mean, he, he's not barely accurate. He's explicitly
1: not taking drugs that numb his emotions. He seems like a clearly, clearly he is the type of drunk that leans more into his emotions. So drinking, I know it's generally like talked about as numbing the pain or numbing the numbing the feeling, but this seems to be
0: almost him exposing a- it.
1: Yeah. This seems to be him exposing the feelings.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Despite the fact that he's getting fucking hammered <laughs> at the end of it, we see, we see like him very nearly succumb to those feelings. Yeah. Right. So you, like, saying that they're that they're suppressed in any sort of way because of the drinking, I think, is a little bit naive. I think I think the numbing is the the Z Zolodin, zola Zolodone. Zolidon and he, he's not taking them here. That's actually really purpose.
0: that's actually really interesting because I, I think that I think that you hit it on the head. I think that thinking about the perspective of this as being him really like living through serious emotions is contrary to what we've seen before. And also it leads him to this sort of extreme action that he's kind of trying to turn himself off from by like using the drug as the sort of manual off switch, as opposed to, I don't know, going to therapy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It is, would you call this therapy for
0: him? I don't, I don't think like, it's therapeutic. Yeah. No. Um, mm. Holiday thinks that it's therapeutic. I think that it's a it's a ritual more than anything else. I see this as a yeah, a, I can see a that. way for him to experience his feelings less than I see it, and it might be therapeutic to, for for those same reasons. I just see it more as a repeat, something that he can do every year to. It's an anchor. Yes. Yep. Good call. Yeah. In in all ways, it's an anchor. It's an anchor. But to... I. I the moment in the memory, it's an anchor that drags him down constantly. It's the reason that he's on Zolodone and does what he does there. It's its everything.
1: Yeah. The fact that he's not taking Zolodone this day, though, seems... Uh, I, I don't know if therapeutic's the right way to put it, but it, it seems like a form of facing his emotions head-on that he probably... If he were to describe it, he would probably describe it as some sort of maybe not using the term therapy, but he would describe it in a way that matches what most people would seek therapy for. Not not the talking to holiday part, but the having a day off the Zolodone and just just thinking about Trig and dedicating the day to Trig. I, I get I get where you're coming from with the ritualistic thing, but it clearly
0: means that the only thing that I wanted to like tag into what you were saying to some degree is that this is still the same day that he handed out the credits. So he did take Z earlier in the day and he was drinking earlier. Oh, OK, OK, but yeah, I didn't that, realize it that's, was the same day. I know, I know a different thing about Zolodone than you are. I know how long it lasts, because that's actually it gets a little bit more specific later. So I feel comfortable in saying that he is not on Z at this point. He did use it earlier in the day, but it's not like he's... He clearly is still succumbing to those non-Z feelings. No, nothing that you've said is wrong, is what I wanted to reiterate with that. Okay. I just wanted to also say that this is technically the same day. Okay. I didn't realize it was...
1: Yeah, because the last time it, it, that we, it's, we talked about it's this it's tough the because of, of the day. jumps to and from different perspectives. You yes, you make, or at least I make the sort of subconsciously. I think when there's a break and we come back, it's a different. It's a different instance. It's a different day. I don't. I don't draw the lines together of what's happened between Ye- yes. the two. The two chunks
0: what I'll what I'll add to that is that I think that that is one of the things that I'm most critical of inside of Iron Gold is that the timeline can be a little bit hard to track for that particular reason but mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. Uh, it straightens out inside of Dark Age more. I think he'd learned what he was doing with multiple perspectives and figured out how to write it properly to like give you a lead in, right? So like you could say later that day or you you can do any number of things to like give a a direct clue that this is still the same day yeah it it's small things even, even if those clues were there
1: it just subconsciously they're they're too separate for me to put together um, unless you, you give know?
0: them well, sure unless you like start to really like line them up and effect it is more of an end of a book conversation but i yeah yes it's, i'm it's I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put a pin in it we'll talk about it later with that, Ephraim gets knocked the fuck out by a fist the size of a small dog.
1: Yeah, after after everything Almost that happens himself. in the bar, he's like about to to jump off a building. The thing I like kind of fixated on a little bit. He's like looking looking down as he says into the abyss and throws his uh, data pad down mm-hmm. towards the uh, the cars that are driving by on top of the building. How much would it suck to be driving past a skyscraper and to get, like, a cell phone through the windshield straight into (laughs) your car? Potentially into, like, into you.
0: Right. Or, like, imagine, like, a cell phone coming through, you know, your car or what have you, and then just, like, landing in your cup holder, like, shattering. (laughs) Like, you'd be like, what the fuck? Or, like, you know, hitting your head or taking out an eye or something like that. It's just... I, I can only imagine the extreme version because it's the only scene or the variant that I've ever seen depicted, but the extreme version of this is the fifth element when Lilu jumps off and lands in Corbin Dallas's taxi is just like the most extreme version of this random falling through the sky shit ever. Yeah. yep,
1: Yeah. That's what I got hung up on for some reason. <laughs> I kept thinking about that, but yeah, just the descriptor of getting punched by a
0: fist, the size of a small dog ridiculous ridiculous Ow. so so chapter 15 lysander from the depths um i skipped this last week on accident i didn't intend to but i think it's really important to bring it up here in iron gold lysander goes by the alias castor out janus and janus in particular is really interesting because he is the roman god of a lot of interesting weird things that have to do he's not the god of time but he is kind of the God of a lot of things that seem to rotate around the setting of time. So he is the God of beginnings of transitions of gates of time in the time. And you you of have, this, you have time uh, duality in doorways, passages, frames and endings in time. He's, he's not like strictly the God of time. He's not a controller of time, but he, he is, he oversees it kind he's of the, the middle manager of time. Not not even that would be cooler than what Janice is Janice (laughs) is really a janitor at heart, (laughs) but Janice is also traditionally has two faces. So just interesting Um, January is conventionally thought to be named after Janice. So it's it's a whole thing. But being named Castor out Janice is interesting, not because of the caster, but because of the Janice and sort of the nature of the sort of two faced person that we see. Here, right and it's because he's hiding his identity behind this additional name and adds that layer of complexity on top of him wherein people don't know his face and he's hiding his his name and so they believe you know the name and the fake name and face match and doesn't doesn't understand this other history it also adds this other layer of the sort of passage that he's had to go through of hiding his true identity which fits in with sort of the Janus theme it almost feels like lysander at like 14 maybe was like digging through a book and was like i want to be named janice because i'm hiding my identity in kind of a pre-teeny way yeah but i
1: can see yeah. that i can i can completely see the the teenager logic of that
0: <laughs> yeah and it's, it's a cool it's, name i think it's great I, i'm I curious, curious great where
1: caster came from
0: there are so many casters that I can't point to it conceivably there's there are a number of other times where I can discern via a quick search and kind of digging around and and doing a bit of research and figure it out but to me I could not find a connection with caster so if someone can find one for me uh, let me know send us uh, an instagram message or a Twitter message or an email if you're that kind of person
1: words and whiskey show
0: at gmail.com yes our Twitter handles and otherwise, Twitter and Instagram are words whiskey pod. Uh, So, but that—that's I—I always I always know
1: that you're gonna come up with a historical reference to a lot of these
0: names. There's like eight to the rest of this section. There are so many.
1: Yeah, exactly. But in in my reading, like actively while I'm reading, I'm like, all right, Cross is gonna talk about that. I'm not gonna search it myself. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you're just like i don't need to bother because cross will cross will give me the mini lecture yep exactly <laughs> that's that's hilarious so we re-emerge with our heroes of course at the beginning of chapter 10 after talking about the name thank you for uh giving me that to like go back and retcon a little bit from our last episode we re-emerge with our heroes being chased by the oscomani ships they're unloading salvos of railgun fire back at them but it doesn't seem to be enough to dissuade them from continuing the chase. I really like how this kind of builds the world a little bit in the way where Lysander knows that they're going to run out of ammo, which I think is also something that in a lot of modern sci-fi just doesn't get enough attention. There's so much focus on character beats that there's not a whole lot of realism placed into the world. And this is just another one of those moments where it's like, yep, this world is fucking crazy and it's great. Yeah, I I think real.
1: I think a point to that is it's easy to ignore ammunition when you're strictly talking about energy weapons, which is, is kind of the primary lasers and stuff like that in a lot of modern sci-fi, but using rail guns, because that's, that's going to be probably more powerful. This is so much more rooted in, in a little bit more realism that having, having these futuristic weapons still be physically based makes a lot of sense yeah, there, yeah. there's obviously like some energy weapons that, that are used but we don't get a lot of the ammunition aspects of that but it doesn't seem like they're being used in a way that's
0: uh outrageous outside of, the of probability yeah yeah i i really love the idea of the cannons of probability the way in which you believe that things are real and everyone's are a little bit different but i think that pierce brown does a good job of explaining enough things that might be egregious that they never hit that point and that there's also some like gimme that he kind of gets on the side of plasma weapons where it's like i don't fucking know it's a plasma weapon give me a break dude Mm -hmm. it'll happen at some point (laughs) yeah exactly yeah but i think real guns just kind of also build that that sort of sense of like real world and sort of the ammunition so it's great I like how Cassius totally takes a second and puts the lesson of what Lysander just did right back into his face regarding the whole I'm the grandson of Lorne thing and something we didn't talk about last week, how he how Lysander forsook all of the low colors because he couldn't save them because it wasn't his first instinct. He tries to save them after the fact, but he's already lost tools and can't find a way through because his first instinct really came down to protecting his own, came down to rescuing the gold, not to anyone else that might be on the ship.
1: There, there's a couple aspects to it that can be gleaned from it. There's obviously that read on it, but there's also the interest factor. She's more interesting. Why is she here? What's going on with that scenario? From a perspective that I don't think he was really thinking of at all, it's going to be way easier to evade anything with fewer refugees on board like the the more the more heads on deck the the more difficult it's going to be to save them but I, I don't think that was on his mind at all but primarily i think it's the based on what he says in post he he has a kinship with her that he doesn't want to
0: abandon Interesting. Yeah, there's there is sort of that kinship. The other question that comes that comes into my mind, at the very least, is what's his societal bias from being this sort of rich boy for most of his life? Um, But, you know,
1: at this point, it's not most of his life.
0: It's 50 percent.
1: Yeah, but how it's like maybe a third of what he remembers, maybe if he's lucky.
0: I mean, we chatted about this last time. I really think that like life for him started at five to some degree. Yeah, so um, like like
1: but, a third. That's okay. that's where I was coming from. Yeah. Starting okay. at five, going to sure. twenty.
0: Sure. But the sort of the sort of state of the world got shook up at a critical point point in his life. You know, consider the fact that your grandma died as like childhood trauma that also led to the upheaval of society and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um and that's I think that there's this other point him that's already became a little bit apparent he obviously loves and cares for cassius quite a bit but also he thinks less or like any like any fucking teenager would to some degree of a parental figure's opinions like he he clearly like smells the whiskey and he's like you're just a drunk you know like they they're are these different moments that painted as this wasn't a perfect upbringing, and so maybe he does have glorification of earlier days.
1: Yeah, and he he was incredibly intelligent as a ten year old, right? Based on how
0: he was interacting. In the, I mean, in he negotiated the end of Morningstar himself, and he was ten.
1: So, like, the, the, he he was a little accelerated based on what I would consider to be a normal ten year old. Not that I I have that great of a read on what a normal 10-year-old is, but he he seems special in that kind of way. So, I don't know. I think the kinship part is probably number one on his mind, and that's what's presented to us as the folly that Cassius points out.
0: And I I think the bigger part here that we're also skipping over is obviously the, the folly of the comparison to Lorne, because I think Cassius does a good job of saying Lorne would also sacrifice 100 low colors for one of his own and so like you just making this claim of of doing the Lorne thing isn't necessarily always going to be the right thing while lauren may be an objectively morally upright person he also was fallible in his yeah. own right in his own moments
1: i think the the perspective or the thought that's kind of ignored here is what would cassius
0: have done true that's such a good point pj
1: like, he, I, he's quick to judge, but what would he have done in this scenario? I don't think it would have been different.
0: Young Cassius? I don't know if young Cassius would have no, just gone even
1: back. even current Cassius.
0: Well, current Cassius, I think, is very different than young Cassius, but...
1: I I agree, but um, I don't necessarily think of him as a, I I don't We don't see enough of him right now to really make sure. that call, but... Um, I think
0: given he, what we've seen, yeah. though, he's chosen to save himself. And and Lysander and Python like he's in for his crew. He wants to help others, but he's in for his crew.
1: Yeah, I think that's the right way to put it.
0: Yeah, tough place to be in. Of course, I enjoy how Pierce through Lysander evaluates Darrow's decision to take the Vanguard back in Golden Sun as totally foolish and reckless. The Vanguard, of course, becoming the Pax after it was taken. It's a wonderful little note that adds a lot of flavor to the scene in the world. We talked a little bit about this earlier as a way of not not retquanting but like acknowledging <laughs> like he's yeah he's not correcting it he's just being like yeah um bad call <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of a nice like meta commentary but also it's a good in-world commentary it's like there's no way anyone's gonna ever try to do that again it was a mathematical suicide like no yeah we're not fucking doing that cassius
1: <laughs> and in this moment or in in this scene i guess it also allows for allows for us to see a little bit more of the intimate point of view of Octavia through Lysander because he's remembering things that she did or did with him or did for him or had him do behind closed doors so we, we i think i mentioned this at the end of morning star or maybe some other point but This feels like the closest I'm going to get to having an Octavia point of view on the on the previous story. And it seems really cool.
0: That's that's a great point. I think that that feeds into a lot of things rotating around Lysander's perspective and sort of his his thoughts and world as it as it pertains to legacy. The component that I get caught up on here most of all is the poem that comes right after this. It's by John Keats when he's nursing back the gold woman, the gold peerless scar that we talked about last week trying to nurse her back to health to some degree. He decides that he's going to whisper her a poem. That poem is by John Keats and was written by John Keats shortly after the death of his own grandmother about her passing specifically. I think it's interesting that there's this little circle Between John Keats losing his grandmother and Lysander talking about this and talking about losing his grandmother, in addition to all the context we're getting around Octavia and sort of this meditating on the loss of a loved one being so critical. I mean, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's an unfair assumption to say that given that this was one of Octavia's favorite pieces of poetry, that she was also meditating on the loss of a loved one. The only one that we really have context on for the most part is maybe her dad, who she killed or Anastasia, her daughter.
1: I would think probably more the one that she didn't have a part in. Yeah, (laughs) probably, you know, that that would be my thought.
0: Right, Right. Maybe maybe there's some regret to it, but maybe that would be a different poem. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it's layers here. There are layers like an onion, like an ogre right here <laughs> specifically like an ogre specifically like an ogre yeah no i i just i really like this bet any anything else there
1: no no i think just looking to who who that woman truly was sure. as opposed to what we saw is is a fun way to reapproach the
0: story yeah that woman being octavia of course yeah. right so we we move on from that to and then we discover it's the rim that is controlling this area near the asteroid. It's very close to the Paxilium barrier, which they'd been debating crossing for a period here uh, in order to avoid kind of death by the Ascomani. What I find really interesting is that the ship that they run into, I'm going to totally butcher this pronunci- pronunciation, so I'm going to ask for a little bit of forgiveness. But the Shartibis, uh Shardabyss... Is a big part of the Odyssey. It's a big part of a lot of different components of anything that Homer touched or wrote about. It is the there's a strait that passes between Italy and Sicily, in which there are two different rock formations that are addressed by these names. On the Sicily side, there's Shardabus. On the Italy side, there's Cilia. And these are two different sea monsters according to Greek lore. So in the Odyssey and in two other stories, people are caught rowing through and facing these creatures. Specifically in the Odyssey, there are a number of boats that are rowing through the strait and many of them are are close to Chartabus, And so Odysseus warns the boats and tells them to go the other way. And a lot of them end up being consumed by Scylla or Scylla. And Scylla. so yeah. th- this metaphor feels very similar to the Pax Ilium line, considering the Ascomani on one side and the Chartibus, the ship, or the rim on the other side. It feels like we are making the same decision in that straight here with our main characters. Very well written, very well, mm. uh, very deeply plotted.
1: The other point of that that gets brought up with the term Pax Ilium, are we to assume that... This is named after Pax also, or is there a, an actual terminology that I'm missing? Or that Pax I don't use uh, piece. I guess that makes sense to it's, use it's that. It, 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 in, it gets confusing. With,
0: yeah. 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 It's, it's really, it's not based on Pax, the character it's based on the word more than anything else, but peace, the peace treaty between here and Ilium, which is the consortium of moons in the rim. I think they're all Jupiter moons. Is what's called Ilium, or Ilium. Not that those are the only moons that contribute to the Rim Lords, but that was the battle of Ilium or whatnot. Yeah. Anyway. So what did you think of the Fashium, Facium? The thing that changed Cassius's face in that whole page and a half scene of gory brutality we get of his face melting down. Dude. It's super
1: fucking cool. <laughs> it's
0: wild. Yeah. It's kinda nuts.
1: Because of all of the, uh, the information we have on carving and the things we've seen with carving, it, it doesn't feel magical to have, have some sort of device that would do something similar. Presumably you could, you could have a similar effect, maybe a little bit more elegantly through carving, but having it be on a whim in a short period of time, seems super fucking cool. And I, I'm excited to see where use of that goes from here
0: yeah yeah it it is kind of a, a interesting form of portable carving i think that's a good way of kind of framing it like you said or like i'm summing it up as either way yeah it just it's so interesting because i guess the question that lingers is is this reversible is this something that could be undone is this just a mathematical procedure on someone's face that could be you know unmapped in some way Ooh. I hadn't considered that. I'm just bullshitting over here, but yeah, probably.
1: I I would guess because it's short, they're not altering bone. They're probably adding maybe cartilage like structure. So it said
0: it said bone, cartilage, and flesh. Okay, hmm. which is part of the reason that he was screaming and the reason of the hold. But it's it's very specific about bone for sure and cartilage. Yeah, I, I forgot about that.
1: Yeah, then I don't know. That might make it more difficult. You could probably see that it's been done, but maybe not undo it.
0: It's interesting. It, it definitely poses a question. And I think that this is a technology to me that lines up, makes a lot of sense. And wow, is it wild? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chapter 16, Darrow the Den. So right off the bat, we get a brief history lesson of some of the damage that the Ash Lord and more specifically Apollonius, our Volley Wrath, dealt to Luna. So we've finally met our third Wrath brother indirectly via commentary after Tactus and Tharsis. But what do you make of his nickname, the Minotaur?
1: Presumably he doesn't have a bull like top half. So
0: maybe he's got like a bull cock or something. That, that, that does line up with the Valley Wrath I mean, family, according yeah. to descriptions we've heard loosely.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's packing. He's packing heat.
0: That's is that's what, it. that's what all am going to say there, is, is that that's cock. where
1: that's where the Minotaur part comes in. <laughs> yeah, that's all I've got. I don't know. <laughs> it's a it's a sick ass nickname, but yeah,
0: fair. Okay.
1: All
0: right. We can move into the it's, sort. Of it's next enough conversation that
1: it's okay. enough of a cock. That it's considered like he he is considered a half human, half bull, (laughs) strictly from the bullcock.
0: Uh, (laughs) I I just like, I don't even know how to respond. I just. (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. So we're moving on. Uh, Quicksilver (laughs) is is here and having a conversation with Darrow about a number of things. But uh, here he says history is a wheel. And all mobs are the same, full of small men with big appetites. Only they, the only way they grow is by eating men like us. What do you make of his sort of like turn of phrase, his conversation here? And I mean, the only thing I thought about
1: during, like while I read that phrase was a quote from Firefly. I think it's, it's Mal and uh, some true some some person that hired him i think badger i can't Mm, mm -hmm. it's been so many years since i've seen this but all i was thinking about was a a quote that had always stuck out in my mind since the first time i watched that show and mal mal says something along the lines of the wheel keeps on turning and the response is that only matters to the people on the rim so it's the people who are kind of on the outskirts? They're not the they're not the people in power. They're the ones getting tossed around by things changing and things moving. Even if it's cyclical, they're they're getting fucked, and the people in the center maintain their position. Um, yeah,
0: what's what's also what's what's a good add to that? I think is considering the context um, here of kind of Quicksilver's quote uh, also crazy memory pulling that quote out of the back of your brain yeah i i have um,
1: no idea if that's accurate i i know it's something close to that because I'm, like that that was
0: one of my favorite quotes from the series there are a few lines that i can quote that well uh anywhere from anything and there's no way i could just pull that one out of the back of my head so mm. cheers <laughs> <All right. laughs> um but all, and all mobs are the same, full of small men with big appetites, only they grow. the only way they grow is by eating men like us. I, I just think that that is, it's hyper-specific to the idea that, using, using even the quote analogy that you're saying, it's the rim fighting back against the center of power to some degree. So mm-hmm. the quotes feel diametrically opposed in that way, wherein Quicksilver's advocating for preservation of power among the few and is saying that the mob kind of is fickle and is is willing to go wherever it can consume power which is fairly accurate over humanity's lifespan so that makes sense and the only way that that ever happens is is by eating big men but there's clearly a delicate line to balance between being a dictator big man and a not dictator big man because you can be one of you can be either of those and <laughs> you have the choice which is kind of why i think daryl also kind of shakes off a lot of what quicksilver is saying he kind of shakes him off as an ideologue locked in his values and ways but still a tool and a resource that he feels he can lean on
1: so i i think quicksilver has gotten to the place that he is through a little bit of i don't want to bring up the term apathy again because i don't think that perfectly applies but he he is not necessarily concerned with the individual. He is, he concerns himself more with the populace in general because it's what makes he he seems very logical, but also very cautious in all of his decision making. That's how he's gotten this far. Secretly, being the main founder, the the only living founder of the Sons of Ares. he well. There were two. So <laughs> I said only living.
0: Well, I know what all that I meant is that because there were only two, like you're not pulling from a big pool. That's a no, but, small tidal pool to pull from. But yes, no, I know. But drive. the fact that he's
1: living and is has has maintained this support for the sons of Ares financially and operationally for as long as he has without blowing his cover. I, I don't know if he's openly I'd assume now he's openly like admitted to it publicly that he's that he's in support of the Sons of Ares, but before the the overthrow, he was rightfully so very secretive secretive about it and his scruples and his thought processes. I think are are what allowed him to succeed in that way, even if they seem cold at times.
0: That's fair. Yeah, I mean, Quicksilver is successful for the reasons. Th- for the reasons that he's so adherent to his ideology and the way that he believes that the world works, right? So uh, there, there are components in which I believe Quicksilver, but there are components where I lean Darrow's way, where it's like, dude, you're just a fucking ass. But anyway,
1: yeah. oh, I'm not, I'm not saying he's a good person or a moral person necessarily. He can be an ass as much as he wants to, but I, I'm saying his his disposition has. Allowed him to uh, exist for as long as he has. Yeah,
0: fair. This question pains me to even ask, but Darrow in his own head, to the point that you were making about the idea that the Sons of Ares were built by both these two men, Darrow asks if Fitchner would agree with what he plans. And my question to you is, do you think that Fitchner would agree with what Darrow's doing, his actions, everything? I think
1: we are so far off the map Of what Fitchner had even imagined that I I don't, I don't know if it's even, I don't know if I'd ever get to a reasonable answer to that because I think he'd have to evolve like Darrow has along the way. I think he more than Quicksilver was driven by passion and much like Darrow didn't necessarily have the 10 year planned or 10 year plan written out. So I, I, I think that is an insanely difficult question to answer. And I, I think his, his outlook would have been completely fluid throughout the establishment of the Republic. So I, I know that's a non-answer, but I, I, I think it's impossible to
0: decipher based on how much has changed. Okay. That's the best non-answer anyone could have given to that question. Yeah. <laughs> i just i can't think of a better way of of like <laughs> not parsing around question. the question
1: it's not parsing <laughs> um, around it like i, I but i but get where the question's right. coming from
0: but I, I i think you're so correct in the way that it, it's it's impossible because there would have been also 10 years of growth for Fitchner in the same way that there were 10 years of growth for dancer between the original trilogy and now and he feels like a different character because he he grew over ten years, like any character would.
1: Mm-hmm. And, Darrow, so guess, and, Mustang, and Darrow and Mustang and fucking everybody. Mm-hmm. There was there was what one or two years of growth during Morningstar mm-hmm. that uh, Darrow's outlook is basically unrecognizable compared to the pre box version of Darrow. Like it, there are so many huge things that completely warp the way a person looks at their goals and their life and what they've done and what they're doing that I, I I don't think it's even worth trying to plop Fitchner from the Institute into the Republic. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think it's relevant because there, there's so much that's changed. And, and the one, the one character that we kind of ignore that for is Lorne.
0: Yeah. I, man, isn't that true, though? Lorne has this like weird philosopher warrior edge about him that everyone takes super seriously and brings it in as this like moral backbone. And when we paused about Fitchner comparatively, we tried to think of him as a character, but Lorne has this like godlike attribution to him that makes it different.
1: I think a part of that has to do with the fact that he's based on Marcus Aurelius a prolific philosopher of ancient history because of how much his disposition is tied to that historical figure it's easier to pull his his essence into the present day without having to worry about his growth but at the same time i i'm curious what the overthrow would have done to lorne
0: yeah, yeah, in a similar fashion, I think Lorne would have just fucked off to his island, <laughs> which is what he's trying yeah. to do anyway. Yeah. So we've we have a decent amount to cover here yet. Nessus, which is the ship that Darrow asks for from Quicksilver, is the name of the centaur who led to Hercules' death. It's an interesting parallel poll, I think. Basically, to to give a very brief summation of the story really getting into it there was there was a woman there was hercules hercules and the woman were trying to make it somewhere nessus offered as uh, as a centaur does inside of ancient greek to help greece to help but centaurs are also known to be mischievous so his help was basically abducting the woman hercules doesn't want to fight this centaur one-on-one instead shoots him with poison arrows with blood derived from the hydra later in life is re-gifted the shirt of which nessus was wearing at the time which still had the poison blood of the hydra on it which burnt through his skin and killed him so all told the nessus led to the death of hercules and it's an interesting thing to point out here that darrow is borrowing the ship named after this Sort of I we can extrapolate it a little bit and say this sort of poisonous killing attitude.
1: Yeah, it, it seems looking at it from that perspective, I, I didn't I didn't pay any mind to that, didn't know who Nessus was. Whatever, but you mentioned it to me. So now thinking about it with that respect, it, it seems like kind of a mortal deal. Not, not, not a deal with the devil per se, but it it seems like he is borrowing success with the cost of a future mortal downfall and i'm curious to see how that plays out strictly based on the name nessus which seems like a dumb thing to make wide story arcing <laughs> predictions on but <laughs> we we you know we know how much of a history buff that pierce brown is
0: yeah right and again it's it's wild because i don't think that a lot of people would even add this to their brain canon they're like oh yeah darrow wrote a ship that <laughs> quicksilver gave him neat i mean that's and what i like, thought well until named nessus this. after the death of hercules like it's a big deal what do you mean so yeah no totally agree what would you make of the conversations with the howlers and the permission some were given to dip out i kind of like this sort of open forum that darrow opens up this with we also within this form, of course, me Midman, and, as well as Calloway Z Char, who's known as Warlock. who We were kind of introduced to via a nephew previously. We kind of, I kind of alluded to: is he real? Is he not? And kind of like led you on in the first chapter. Uh, yeah. but yeah,
1: I, I think that makes total sense. And I, I think he probably counted on the idea that some of the Howlers would stay back. Not only as a means of protecting his family, but also as a means of maintaining some sort of presence within the the senatorial area. So I, I think it was calculated a little bit. And I'd be surprised if had all of them agreed to go with him, I, I would be surprised if he hadn't designated some to
0: stay regardless. Do you think that Pierce forgot about Screwface or Screwface? Who one of the we've got
1: clown, we've got Screwface. Or we've got Clown and uh who's married to Clown now? Pebble. Pebble. No, I think he just didn't mention him. There are over a hundred howlers in this scene. I I okay. think I think Screwface is there, but just wasn't doing anything notable, so it didn't get it get attention.
0: Fair. Okay. A lot of this section, of course, like we were just talking about, frames itself around the loyalty to Darrow, to the Howlers, being given kind of the options and choices. The two choices that I think are most relevant to talk about here, of course, are Holiday's choice to leave, as well as Cephy's. What What do you make of both of those? Rant time. I think
1: th- this is where I'm coming from, from the initial, or from from the previous answer. Yeah. I think he was banking on a small handful of howlers to stay behind and, and maintain some sort of protection over his family and oversight over the Senate. I I think he was probably hoping that Sefi would come with him because she has such crazy pull. Obviously like she leads essentially an entire race of people that are fighting for him. I think he understands. And I think that's why he framed it this way and gave the option to go. And didn't didn't act like Severo did, dismissive, and I, I think he literally like scowls at Holiday when she decides to stay.
0: Yeah, he's got a very um, negative reaction to everyone.
1: So I, I I think there was a little bit of a plan for some opposition, maybe not crazy like over the top opposition, but opposition in in the idea of leaving. While mm-hmm. still maintaining some loyalty, I, I, I think I, I truly believe that was part of what he was counting on. So I think there's some relief there that it's somebody that he cares about and somebody that he trusts
0: so deeply that decides to stay. Yeah, and then Darrow's plan, of course, becomes much clearer. They're going to take a kill squad if this group of Howlers in to execute the Ash Lord, which and, um, dun, dun. this this kill squad so to speak is
1: 99 percent of the howlers in existence right
0: i mean perhaps
1: i mean we know the howlers numbers are like it's, not, it's not a whole legion no but it's all the howlers right right that's what i'm saying like this is their elite of the elite and this is not a small number of them this is all of them except for two maybe a handful of the others for some reason but like it's, it's the bulk of the howlers going as a, a small kill squad. I guess it seems suicidal and it seems brash.
0: Cool. Anything else on Darrow? The move? The plans?
1: Uh not at the moment. I think. Uh, I think I'm excited to see where that goes, though.
0: All right. With that, chapter seventeen: Lyria debt. So most of this chapter is going to be talking about Kavax, but we need to start on the moments that aren't about Kavax. One of which is just so brutal to open up on. As you start to read this this book, this story, the the action has kind of died down from the immediate pain of the, or the immediate rush of action that we were talking about at the very beginning. And we, we find Lyria finding the body of, his, of her sister and children in the mud. And... It hurts. It's a deep hurt. They're pieces twisted like broken toys. She's lost nearly everyone in her life today. Her dad, Tyrion, the nephews, nieces, her sister. Just about everyone. The only one who's really left is Liam. And the moment where she breaks down and realizes the screams are her own that she's been hearing in the distance to me is the most bone chilling line in the entire series up until now it is just up there yeah every time i read that paragraph i freeze and i don't know what to do and there's a weird panic that comes over within that perspective because it's there's just so much overwhelming grief and anger and i've never There's only one other book that I can think of that's done grief nearly as well. And this is still, this is still better than that in in this very moment. And so I think
1: it's built up in such a way that she's going through these lines of bodies that have been like set out of the, of the fallen and she gets to the last one and doesn't see her. And there's a little bit of relief there and it's completely just dropped a couple lines later. And I, I think that's what, that's what hits the hardest is, is every line of bodies that she's going through and trying to identify. And she even makes the, the comment of, no, it's somebody else's daughter. It's somebody else's wife, uh-huh. somebody else's mother. It, it's, and, and the clearly there's some intelligence there as far as like, maybe I should be caring about this more, but th- these are my people and I, I'm not finding them. So I'm going to ignore it. And be relieved that the body that I'm seeing isn't my sister. So, so having that build of tension, 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 false relief to just gut dropping horror is, is really well well
0: played. It's it's astonishing. It's astonishing how good that is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I could not agree more.
1: The one part that I think it's harder for me because i because i'm not maybe it's because i'm not yet as invested in lyria is um the killing of leah leah right in in the first book oh where darrow's hiding and they they just slit her throat in the in the muck
0: oh god yeah that's that's a terrible moment
1: and he he has to stay silent and stay hidden and can't do anything and just has he to just see to it happen.
0: And and that's that's honestly kind of like a I mean, it's it's not a direct parallel, but at the very least, the pain feels parallel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But man for different reasons, obviously, in different right. ways. But the, the
0: emotion is there. It's as though he knew that he was setting up characters for the first time. and need to build them and knew only one way to do it. Trauma. 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 <laughs> and now we get to talk about Kavax a bunch. <laughs> so uh, I like that we get the list of accomplishments for cavax it, It's kind of nice. It adds a nice color and context to him in terms of his like deeds and the way that he's perceived by everyone else. It's a pretty mm. great way of looking at him as this kind of larger than life hero. I particularly adored the title of Eagle Breaker. And yes. to also find out that he took out out Lantial grimace's leg is a great note you know with his daughter of course well yeah thrax lost his arm and she lost a leg
1: well i mean i'm just saying he didn't do it himself he he makes it very clear like he fought her with his daughter
0: right well because thrax lost an arm kavax isn't gonna lose no fucking arm yeah that's true he ain't no bitch <laughs> he ain't no bitch <laughs> <laughs> Kavax here is like the positive friend who asks you to look on the bright side when he's like leaning down and holding Lyria's shoulders right after he's admitting to a number of different things that obviously she did to save them and talking about all these different things. And while he's not wrong, I think that the rage that's building in Lyria is clear and makes a lot of sense. For all that the Red Hand has done, for the inaction of the Sovereign, for what life in general is like after the Rising. It's just not an easy place to live, and the cushy golds don't quite understand that. I think Xana has a point. She has a very good point in that, like,
1: we can't save everyone from this. I understand that this is horrible, and it's not what you set up, but not what you signed up for. But there are consequences to making exceptions, and those are way harder to overcome than the feel-good feeling of saving a single person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I am for that reason not in. T- yeah, I guess. I guess I would. I would be in Zara's camp in that. Xana, but yeah. Xana, Xana, not Zara.
0: She's, she's got a very interesting real lens. I think that what's really crazy about her character is that she actually mirrors a good combination of the very little that we met Niobe, Niobe, uh, Cavax, and Daxo, kind of all. If you imagine the Telemannis family, she feels like she fits as the... It's not described where she sits in the family tree, but she feels like the eldest lecturing child to some degree, yeah. you know, is like follow the rules, do this. This is the way she kind of has that that vibe about her. And I also think that you're right, though, on the call that you the, these exceptions, you can't you can't make exceptions in humanitarian circumstances because then the world understands that you can make exceptions And therefore, for each exception you make, you've wronged so many more people who could not be the exception.
1: Exactly. And And I, 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 oh, for, for sure. But I'd also go as far as to say that I completely disagree with Kavax's reasoning of Zana is trying to save people from themselves because that, that doesn't track at all. That, that doesn't seem to be rooted in any sort of actual um, logical reasoning.
0: No, so I would, I would disagree. I think that save people from your, themselves in this context is her trying to save her dad from making an error. And so that is actually saving him from himself by not okay. allowing.
1: I can see that. That. The the way um, he described it didn't come across that way when he was giving that reasoning. It, it, it came across as she's looking out for you and your best interests even if she's misled
0: yes right know. because then lyria would just be a target for for a all the reds that like didn't get this moment and be like a lot of other people. yeah but fuck
1: be, them they're on a different planet
0: what's what's so yes correct uh what's, <laughs> what's 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 so nuts to me about this is in the end to exactly the point that you're saying kavax had already selected her basically if if all the stars were to align and this magic trick were to go off he had already chosen for her to join the ship via sophocles to fetch the jelly bean out of out of her pocket and have this like little moment or dose of of real life magic and selection Mm -hmm. that he can play off as his own insanity and i think that that is a brilliant writing b crazy world building and see a, an interesting way of sidestepping a lawful good character like xana because she will side with her father's opinion ultimately in some circumstances and
1: specifically it's a good, with the it's a good exercise oh yeah, yeah 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 but go continuing that train of thought his his phrase of has has this changed our family so much? Has the Republic changed our family so much? The the appeal to reason, sort of, in this display of fake magic, he has a legitimate appeal to reason, which I think is really kind right. of funny.
0: It it just plays to kind of the the line that he has later when he's when he's like up and whispering in delirious ear. He's like, sometimes, little one, it's it's best if the worlds think you a little mad inspiring what they'll let inspiring what they'll let you get away with and i i think that that just feeds into that kind of idea of of him talking about sort of the the best interests of others and feeding into kind of the idea that they're especially in there there are always going to be circumstances where exceptions are going to kind of make sense Mm -hmm. and that's where you know like it, it sounds like kind of shitty to say but that's where like In the United States, the president has the ability to issue pardons or can do any number of things that he wants to instead of the executive branch to gift individuals awards. And so that's just like brain first brain example that came up. Not a perfect example, of course, but just, you know, like there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. There's always going to be the ability to gift immediate amnesty to uh, someone that that's necessary for
1: and this legitimizes a lot of his decisions previously yes in the other books (laughs) and i i know i was always kind of on the camp outwardly of cavax is just kind of a crazy old man but with the exception of the first interaction with maybe the first couple interactions with cavex this is truly what i believed he was doing the entire time i don't know if i ever actually vocalized that because i i loved the bit of cavex's a brain like a concussed crazy man like i loved that sort of bit that we had going um that i just committed to it but truly this outlook on him is what i believed was really going on most of the time with the with the exception of like the first one, maybe two interactions with him.
0: Yeah, it's it's wild. It's just I'm still gonna continue that bit, by the way. <laughs> like Kammitz Ka- kn- is such a genius character. <laughs> oh, he's so
1: good. He's I'm loving him even more. Like I he is my favorite character and he is solidifying so-
0: that. I'm so glad he's not an elevator operator, you know? Well, I mean, <laughs> fuck you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> then the chapter ends, of course, with Lyria setting off for Luna with Liam under the protection of the house Telemanus And by protection, I guess I mean job. I guess she has a job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just them, the workaround. <laughs> but interesting. Nonetheless. Yeah,
1: she is their valet. I think valet
0: valet. Yeah yeah all right our final our final chapter of the week chapter 18 ephraim the duke of hands ephraim wakes up with a pounding headache in a dark room with a giant obsidian named gorgo and a pink who is later revealed to be the duke of hands i love kind of the line that starts this whole thing off that i think kicks off the scene in a very aggressive way which is we are both thieves but there are two subspecies of thieves in this world. The first thinks that anything can be that can be taken should be taken. This thief believes in anarchy. The second subspecies is one who believes that not everything should be stolen. That some things must be sacred. This thief believes in order. My question, then, is which subspecies are you, Mr. Horn and... By God, is that a great question to ask a character is it, which one are you? It
1: is, but somehow in, in that dichotomy, he proves to be kind of a blend of the two. He he, prov- he proves to be the first with a moral code. And that's specifically what he's l- looking for, you know?
0: Yes, yeah, he does he doesn't adhere to the rules, which is why ultimately it makes sense, you know. Yeah, he, the, the, he doesn't
1: the, adhere to the laws necessarily or the the sacred sacred nature of some objects, but he still maintains a moral code.
0: Yeah, right. Like he will never work with the syndicate actively. Mhm. Good good mm-hmm. example. Oops. Oops. <laughs> 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 of course this this whole thing kind of compromises that. I think I had mentioned that he reminded me of a Kansan last time, and yep. I totally messed that up. I totally messed that up. You got some Trig. pushback on that. <laughs> I We did. We did. Logically, as we should. Um, Trig is the Kansan here that I, in my head, confused with Is he from, like, the Japanese Isles? Do you want to clap and search for Kansas? We now know that the Nakamura's, as you should track the kind of last name and the origin to some degree are from south pacifica so <laughs> oh, it, who's right <laughs> i was very wrong which is a tragedy in many parts considering yeah. i'm leading the show and there there have only been a handful of times so so just to kind of Maybe make three. some make some clarity
1: here we took a small break for crossland to search through a text scrubbing bot that looks through didn't all of the text the
0: bot. i actually read the first couple pages to find it of more because okay. well, I knew it was around page 20 i have the book right here I'll throw okay. it at your face if i could
1: oh did you did you find whether or not it
0: was drake's birthday no i did not find that you yet. didn't look that well I, you were already back <laughs> there's not enough time so crossland
1: did some search and found that i was right and he was wrong it is again an instance of a different science fiction universe that he was thinking of by different you mean
0: the same different science fiction universe it was once again the expanse um (laughs) it was which is (laughs) fuck me cripes
1: cripes is that the term you're going with cripes i
0: i say that all the time leave me alone when i've never heard you say that what what do you mean when i've never heard you use the phrase cripes as an expletive really yeah That's so weird. Okay. Uh, Anyway, PJ, we're going to (laughs) talk about the fact that Trig is not a Kansan and that Ephraim is definitely not a Kansan. So Trig... Ephraim's not even from Earth, right? South Pacific. No, Ephraim is from Luna. He's, He's Lunese. So, you know... One of our one of our listeners actually pointed this out to me, which is why I went down this entire rabbit hole reevaluating a lot of the things that I had researched. And man, I've never been so wrong, and also so glad to be corrected. Because if I would have continued down this rabbit hole, it would have been just perpetual shame. So, a uh, big, big thank you to our listener Ivana Magdanoska. I, I I did my best. I swear also she's reading all the books that I recommend so that's fantastic <laughs> um, <laughs> which is pretty cool but yeah she she totally corrected and she's like really you didn't think of him as british like from a guy Ritchie movie and i was like you know what i think i do think of him that way but with like a Kansan accent like a Kansan gangster and <laughs> that's that's a real thing don't don't downplay don't downplay what i just said okay cansen gangsters that that is actually a, a very real <laughs> concept but not well known not well acknowledged but in my head i I just always had it that way and now that it was readjusted with this lens from ivana i cannot help but think of every guy Ritchie movie ever whatever i think of ephraim and any scene he walks into just the kind of like blitzy action stop frames and everything else all the other magic Damn it, you ruined this for me, Ivana. But also, thank you for uh, correcting me in every way, shape, and form. I deserved all of that shame Mm -hmm. I'm putting on myself right now. (sighs) Yeah, so good. Ave Regina, which is what he says to generate the crown, what he, the Duke of Hand, says, revealing a crown on his head, uh, is an interesting phrase. What do you make of this rose and how he talks to Ephraim? And what do you make or what do you think about the syndicate?
1: So, the rose is interesting. Or, oh, do you mean like the the actual guy, the rose? Or do you mean like yeah, the, the, Duke, the, the iron rose
0: that he produces? The Duke of Hands. The, the crown that floats above him and the phrase Ave Regina means Hail Queen, mm-hmm. which is obviously a, a call to the syndicate. Okay. Being that there's a queen of the syndicate. So, that's why it reveals itself at that point.
1: I actually, in my first read-through of this... My first instinct when, when it was mentioned that he was a pink and a rose specifically, mm-hmm. I thought it was Mateo, potentially. Oh. That was quickly like whisked away by I don't know, everything else. But he he's a cool dude. I really like this character. He's clearly got some compassion and some some morals to him that the way he talks makes it seem as A little bit rare within this this uh syndicate but he's still fucking brutal it's still kind of ruthless by by necessity so i i'm i'm so excited to see where this character goes i don't know i i i I don't know what to think other than that i
0: love that take i i don't i don't know how else to say anything else inside of what you mentioned without Extrapolating, so I'm just going to leave it there. I'm to yeah. die. <laughs> it, it, and may, maybe it's
1: just a, a ploy, but he seems to invoke his own set of morals as s- strangely a means of intimidating.
0: Yeah, his navigation of conversation is unlike a lot of characters in fiction. He seems to have a master over words and convincing people that actually lends the pink and the rose, the superior color, um, the superior form of the color. I should say this sort of authority and power unfound anywhere else. He okay. like he's demonstrating that he is the stained of, of pinks. Yes, exactly.
1: So before, before we get too far away from that specific topic, There's a, there's a comment somewhere from Ephraim or his, his internal monologue. I can't remember exactly how it's mentioned, but there's the, the pinks have the roses and the obsidians have the stained. Is there a class strictly dedicated to cooks (laughs) and is there like elevated form chefs? And if so, what are they called? (laughs)
0: so generally <laughs> i was speaking, I was
1: genuinely thinking about this and trying to figure it out.
0: Browns are generally cooks, I think, according to the to the uh, the society in general and also the game, as has been shared with us again by one of our fans who loves this kind of general theory that we have rolling throughout the series, uh, shared with us a couple of cards from the game that are both cooks, and they're both fall within the brown color. So, I'm going to go with artisan chefs are the prime version of Browns, which what are they is called? not canon. Artisans. Artisans. Artisans are the... Or chef. I don't know. What do you want? No, I I mean, I'm cool with artisan. Yeah, because um, you could be like an artisan jan- janitor, you know? like So I, I was actually... Similar jobs.
1: Be, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that Browns were cooks. I think that's mentioned and that's ringing a bell. But I was thinking like... Are violets sometimes chefs? Because there's a lot of art that goes into, like, food presentation.
0: To me, violets are the most ill-described of all of the classes because they hit such a wide spectrum, like you're saying, where it feels like there could be violets that intersect with a lot of these different classes. You know, mm-hmm. like, violets could be this. It's also interesting to me that violets are low colors. Yeah. Well, uh, are they? Well, they're like mid-colors, I should say. They're not low, but they're generally repressed they're not, a little bit because... I think they're like, on on the pyramid, I think they're on like the
1: four. I want to say tier 3 or 4, yeah. I think 4, I want to say. But I don't know. Yep. But th- that literally on my drive around after work and before the podcast i was i was listening to the book and like this is where my mind wandered off to <laughs> so yes yeah, yeah how do cooks Definitely. fit in to the <laughs> to the pyramid structure
0: yeah uh, anyway where were we at <laughs> we were talking about the whole thing with ephraim so ephraim degrading him in his head to a little bit more than a sex toy is a rough blow to this dude like the the entire conversation that ephraim is having with himself just degrading him reminds me more of the way that like indiana jones insults people yeah you know i got i got a very similar feel off of that yeah it's very harrison ford this the whole thing feels like very harrison ford wit
1: all right how many harrison ford characters are we going to get in one book (laughs)
0: We've already got Han. I just added Indiana Jones. I can I can reference President Marshall from the plane movie that he's on. Anyway, where the plane gets hijacked. Air Force One. I think it's called Air Force One. All right. <laughs> where he's the president and he's like... I, I think we need American. to find
1: roles of Harrison Ford and apply them to every main character of this book.
0: No, we just and apply them all to Ephraim.
1: We've got Cassius as han already
0: oh true fair point
1: so we we need to create a show in which every character is played by harrison ford
0: as some of his iconic roles could work could work without a doubt (laughs) after a brief bout of verbal torture ephraim comes to realize that this was all a trick and the duke of hands of course reveals that before ephraim realizes it It's a game. It's a ploy. It was a test to ensure that Ephraim would fit the job that the Duke of Hands needed him for. How brilliant. Right. Yeah. Especially just because of the reputation
1: that precedes the Duke of Hands and the the fact that he reveals who he is before this test really takes place. I I think that's important. I think it's important to know exactly what's at risk here uh-huh if you don't comply to to make sure that your head's screwed on right for what we need okay
0: yeah and i think that also just speaks to sort of the nature of the syndicate right at large this is really just a, a short question but what did you make of the mention of the other thieves ephraim says that there are three that are similar there's the figment there's Zendric. where do they come into play do you think in the story if anywhere
1: Well, clearly they will be high ranking members of the Syndicate and now Ephraim is in bed with them. I don't know necessarily that they'll be kind of be on a team together, but I think there will be interaction between all of them and um, maybe some collaboration on thoughts, philosophies and decision making skills that are unique to these Thieve types. That Ephraim might be able to glean some information from and uh, learn from. If, If he sees them as his betters within the same field, I think having access to them who work within the syndicate will be necessarily beneficial to whatever task he's put up to.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree at all. I feel like the sort of interesting backbone here. Whenever, whenever I think about these characters and the way that they're kind of named here, reminds me of the like Bounty Hunters Assemble scene inside of The Empire Strikes Back, where you get like Boba Fett, you get Bosk, you get IG88, to get all of these different characters that are barely mentioned, right? But they're just like there, just mentioned. Yeah, it feels like. It's just world building, but it's it's good. You know, I Mm -hmm. I have to ask the question, though, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. What do you think is the most valuable thing in all of the worlds to steal that the Duke of Hands proposes here? This is also getting into the predictions. So we're just going to fully transition into PJ's predictions. What do you think is the most valuable thing in the world to steal?
1: I think it's going to be something that's not an object. So either a person or a moon. Or an idea, I Phobos. guess. Not, I mean, Phobos is too easy to. St- <laughs> Phobos is too small. <laughs> uh, fit in a pocket
0: pocket planet, really. Anyway,
1: <laughs> um, I think it's it's either something really sort of esoteric and intangible, like the free will of the the red people, or something like that. Like that, mm-hmm. but I, I don't necessarily see it. In that way, I think it's probably a person. And I think that person is probably the figurehead of the Republic, which I know Mustang has been my guess on everything pertaining to uh, (laughs) Ephraim's position right now. I I predicted that she was the person that he was stealing for. That is not correct. I already drank for it, but now I'm guessing (laughs) that Mustang is the target for what is being stolen.
0: So, ah, okay. Okay. Mustang is the target. Got it. So what's next for Lyria? Well, clearly they're going to Luna and they're going to have a lot of
1: time in the ship. So I think she is going to try to capitalize on that by having some deep conversations with Cavex about Mustang, about the rising in general, and really about anything else that she perceives to be a slight to her people or lies that she's been told hopefully as a means of understanding what's going on but I I, I think it's going to be set up in a more accusatory gotcha kind of way like I, I I think she's going that to tries. approach the conversation as a I know this is not something that you can answer. So answer me this. What's going on? Hoping to get a just an admittance of guilt from him being her only experience with gold. So to her, Kavix is the embodiment of the entire gold people. And I, I think she's going to do what she can to justify her anger towards gold
0: by asking questions of him. Okay. All right. I, I can I can dig that answer. Who is abducting Cassius and Lysander? I think
1: they are bounty hunters set out to get the gold that Lysander rescued. I don't know what the sort of tracking situation is for people trying to track individuals. I know I know you can track ships from previous books, but I don't know about individuals. We know they didn't really stop at the the ship carcass that that they retrieve the gold from so my my thought is there is something kind of like in the mandalorian where there's heat signatures directly tuned to an individual that they are using as a
0: beacon to go find her okay okay I, I like the, the comparison to the Mandalorian of which just came out five years after this book. <laughs> well, um, but yeah, but, but yeah, it, I mean, it's, the, the imagery it's a, and sort of the it's a
1: tangible thing. relational technology in a sci-fi universe. That is exactly what I'm looking for in, in my justification of my guess.
0: Totally. Totally. Final question. Why are my anal glands so big?
1: Hmm. Uh, you just got to rub them on the carpet like a, like the big dumb dog you are. No, but I do that. That's why they're so big. No, you got to, you got to express them, Crossland. You got to express your anal glands. But I am, and that's why they're big. No, they get smaller, don't they? I don't think that's how it works. Mm, I don't know enough about anal glands. (laughs) (laughs) i assume have
0: anal glands fun fact Hmm. well in the way that we think about dogs having anal glands i should say but anyway (laughs) next week we'll be reading through chapter 24 which is gonna be a great time so through Through. chapter 24 through through chapter 24 again we're gonna reiterate this hardcover book crossland what is the page number that we're reading i did uh, give me two seconds it's all
1: on the website because correct. now we which, actually which have do have you. the schedule there.
0: Wait, 2.0.4 Two hundred four is the page Two in our hardcover 2.0.4. Yes. In the hardcover. So, uh, the, like PJ said, the most important thing here is to know that we have this on our website now. You can fully track it. It's within our links. I already have the link created, so it's not like it's not going to be there. As we have many things pointed out by Tim Olson going through the backlog. But... We a hundred percent have the schedule. Now it exists. Check it out. You can go to all the backlog episodes. You can see drinks that are associated with those episodes and you click into their links. You can do all kinds of things on our website. It is crazy how intricate we have a website. We have that we'd love for people to be using as a reference for the show. Of course, especially the schedule most logically.
1: Yes. But with that, I'm I'm dropping you like it's hot. We're we're leaving you there. Thank you, <laughs> of course, to uh, Tim and Andrew. Who Tim we've talked about quite a few times this episode, but Andrew is a godsend as well as far as getting this show out to all of you, keeping this keeping this train going. But I, I kind of want to change up the way we do the outro a little bit for the week. Obviously, I'm still going to tell you you're a savvy listener. You know what I'm going to say. You're going to you're gonna go and give us five stars on the podcatcher of your choice. You're going to recommend us to your friends. You know all of this. But I, I really kind of want to highlight a community member that we've been interacting with on our social media, which is at WordsWhiskeyPod on both Instagram and Twitter. The last episode that we put out, Cross and I had this sort of impromptu relationing of uh the Ashlord lord to the godfather and we, oh we kind of went off on it a little bit but at sushi western created a portrait of the godfather or of the Ashlord lord as the godfather with the quote from crossland from that episode it's super funny super super touching that anybody would listen to our show and take inspiration and within like 24 hours create a really beautiful drawing so we, we we were touched by that but i think you should go check it out at sushi western at words whiskey pod all that shit it, yeah.
0: it's so i, I just want to interject here it's so tough to quantify because it is both a drawing and a meme at the same time that i don't know how to quantify it and my head is just like sushi western generated content But it is, it is art and it is hilarious. I think the clip does it just extra justice. And it's, it has made my day so many times today to just like go back, listen to the clip, look at the photo and be like, fuck yeah, this is insane. For sure.
1: But yeah, that's all I have for you. That's all we've got. Have a great day. We love you all.
0: (laughs) See you next week.